welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, everybody. So Dominique came up with an incredible topic for us to talk about today. So talk about it, Dominique. Tell us what we're discussing. Thanks for sending it my way, Lori. <laughs> Anytime. Aha moments. Yours, ours, crafts, professionals doing craft. I'll start with one because I also represent you know, I'm not the only one in, in allies, but a number of us have a history of addiction ourselves. And one of my biggest aha moments was learning to pause in life. And it's such a key piece of craft and it's so hard to do. And I have to admit that I needed psychopharmaceutical psychiatric help to get things down to a point where I could pause and I knew it pause felt like. I mean, it was pretty serious pause-free life up until that point. <laughs> and I was, you know, years in recovery, and I was still unaware of just how reactive and how important pausing was. So whether you get there, you know, naturally, or you need a little help to slow your system down to experience what a pause feels like, it's one that you can then just nurture and, and use and remember and it grows with you. I agree with you. And this is someone who has learned to pause on a parallel journey with my loved one with substance use disorder. And I think that pausing is probably the most difficult thing to do in craft and probably anything, period, not being reactive to what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And I totally agree with you. I wouldn't say it's a it was a big, huge aha moment for me. It was more like a long drawn out aha moment for me learning that, wow, the pause is absolutely the key. It is the key in craft and in making sure that I'm bringing my best self to the table. It isn't something that should just be utilized with craft and you know, when interacting with your loved one with SUD, but I mean, it should be used in your life in general. So I just want to take a moment and describe what an aha moment is, because maybe not everybody knows what we're talking about, although I suspect people do. To me, an aha moment is when the light bulb goes on over your head, like, and I often think the aha moment is stuff that you've known but it's just there floating around and you don't integrate it. And then there's this moment that happens and it often is at this transitional period where you see the use of it. You, you experience how this is actually valuable. You see like everything just kind of makes sense all of a sudden. The example I like to give is the intentional dialogue. You know, I think all of you know, I do couples counseling and I was trained in Imago in 99. I knew about mirroring and doing that kind of stuff. And so I had to practice the intentional dialogue, like my life depended on it when I was getting trained to be a couples counselor. There was actually no Imago couples counselors around here. So I basically threw myself in as the counselor and participant with my partner to do it. And what was fascinating to me is 
I learned it. And then years later, we were having this massive argument and I forced my way in with doing the dialogue, which I really did not feel like doing at that moment. I just was so enraged at that moment. I just wanted to explode. And I was like, okay, hold up. You have this tool, use the tool. And I used the tool and I was astonished at how much it helped. I was like, wow, <laughs> this really works. It, it's like, it, it's almost like you become a convert at these moments. Like you talk about this stuff but you don't really believe it. And then at some point it comes out and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's clarity. It becomes clear in your own mind and it's through experience, right? It's through this experiential kind of, oh, I see the worth of this. I see the value. It is working and it's clear. It becomes very clear to you why you're doing something and that it is helping. I have had aha moments throughout my process of learning craft, of working with families to help them implement craft. I have aha moments all the time. We talked about one recently, Kayla, like I talked about my experience in the cemetery in Great Barrington, where I was in a spot in my journey of really feeling very victimized, like I was the victim of substance use disorder. Like this was being done to me. And I felt, I mean, I'll be open. I felt very sorry for myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for pity parties. I think everybody should have pity parties in their life. I think it's okay to feel sorry for yourself once in a while. But I think I was stuck there. I think I was stuck in this woe is me, poor me, and I was in this cemetery, which by the way, I love cemeteries. I love old cemeteries. And they had these obelisk type memorial headstones. And I thought it was the wealthy people that had erected these obelisks for themselves. And I happened to glance over and I saw that there were like five or six names and dates written on the headstones on these obelisks. And then I realized, I went over, I started reading them, and I started to realize the lifespan, that these were children, and that they were of one family, and they all died within days of one another. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is the Spanish flu. And I thought, I have no right, I have no right to feel victimized that these families lost five and six children in a day oh boy, it really was an aha moment. I started feeling blessed because I still had my loved one and not all of my children were afflicted with this illness. And, and it really was an aha moment. I think another aha moment is you've been alluding to it, both of you, this profound clarity. You've known you should get abstinent. You know you need to address your addiction. You know, you know, you know, you know. And you do these sort of half-hearted things to address it. So you're really on the cusp of change. And then you have a profound moment where maybe you get through the evening by going to a meeting and you wake up feeling better the next morning instead of how you usually feel. And you really get it. This is the bridge to another world. This is a bridge to another life. If I do this again for 24 hours, if I do this again tonight, maybe I can have two days and feel even better the next day, right? 
And by the way, this is what people that are looking into medication with psychedelics are pretty sure of, which is that they provoke these profound moments of clarity about your life. And that's how they are partly effective. They just help you see things in a way that makes enough sense that you're motivated to go there for a little while, a little bit of motivation, right? And that's a huge aha moment. It has been in my life. What's really important to know about aha moments is it doesn't always look obvious because my aha moments were always in this like kind of non-consequential moments, you know, and I feel like the whole vision that we have with what gets people to, you know, shift their behavior, it's like, oh, they have to hit bottom. They just got in a car accident. They're in jail. They lost their job, whatever. That's not necessarily the leading factor of an aha moment. I think that aha moments often happen in these much more quiet and subtle ways. And so we're all frustrated. Like we watch people look like they're destroying their lives and how come they're not getting it? How come they don't see it? And one of the dynamics of change is that if you're in it and you keep doing the same thing, I'm listening to this clarity word and I'm thinking you're muddled. When we're muddled, when we're overwhelmed, when we're reactive, when we're just trying to survive, it's very hard to have aha moments because there's too much static. There's too much other focus. And so aha moments often happen in these little not doing moments. Like for me, the real shift for me getting sober, I wasn't like a blowout kind of addict. I just was quietly miserable, which is a different form of addiction. And I remember that I had thrown this gigantic party for an organization that I was working with on New Year's. And I was so busy and so distracted. At the end of the night, I was like, oh my God, I didn't drink or use any drugs this night. And I had a fabulous time. And that was actually my aha moment. It was a not doing that got me there. And that was the beginning of my recovery journey because I was like, wow, I could have fun without something. And it was a completely unintentional moment. But that was the beginning of me shifting. I like this, Kayla, because I think it's really important for families to understand a lot of the points that you're making. And I think this is why, as family members, just being there, being empathetic and understanding, having boundaries that are going to work for you, but just being there and not pushing, because pushing tends to put people up against the wall and keep people in chaos and keep people feeling like they have to defend things. So if you can just kind of back off and just be there, it gives you the opportunity to allow your loved one to have their own aha moments when they're ready for that. And understanding that aha moments like which I'm always bothered by the hit rock bottom kind of philosophy, because a lot of people, when they hear hit rock bottom, they often will try to push their loved one to the bottom. It might not be when you think it might actually be in a more subtle moment. I don't believe in the bottom philosophy because, you know, my son was at <laughs> really a very, the very bottom of the bottom there was only one other place that he could be that would put him farther down. And that was not an aha moment for him. Or maybe it was an aha moment, but it wasn't the aha moment of I'm never going to use again. It wasn't that. 
And I had to kind of step away and allow him to have his process and to learn those moments when, oh, you know what, this worked for me, or I, I feel better right now. And I don't want to drink like I did last night, or right, I don't want to do that again, I want to minimize my drinking. And it's really important for family members to understand that allow people to have their aha moments and their process. You just be there, be empathetic and be understanding. And encourage the positive that's going on right then and there. I'm going to jump in for a second because it's the bridge here. In the old days, what happened was the whole idea was breaking people down. The idea was that people were dysfunctional and difficult and evil. And so all of the treatment programs are based on breaking the person's defenses down. And what really wound up happening is people who are dealing with with substance use are already dealing with shame. And so it was this completely shame-based model where there's more shame, not less. And I feel like what we're trying to recreate here is a supportive, encouraging, engaging model versus breaking somebody down. Because I also think that if you already are walking around telling yourself horrible things about yourself, which most people with substance use are already doing, that's why they're using in the first place, that if your family is mad at you and they're disappointed in you and they're upset with you all the time, that just says, you see, uh, I don't deserve to be okay. I'm going to just say this. I'm a piece of shit. I'm worthless. And that just is more of that static that gets in the way of change. And so what we're really doing is this kind of interrupting of that and giving the person space and showing them that they're worth something and that, you know, the aha moment could be, oh my God, I actually want more for myself. I can do more. I'm worth more. I deserve more. That's the angle that we're going on. Yeah, the idea somehow that what craft does is it teaches the family to help them have the negative experiences and the positive experiences. I mean, if you notice, Kayla and I both talked about our recovery journeys, including getting up and feeling better or, you know, how did I get through the night without using? Well, I went to a meeting. Wow. And Kayla talks about this unintentionality as well. Nothing huge long term. I'm never going to kind of thing. But for 24 hours, I, you know, I actually did something different and I can see, I feel better and families can encourage that part of it. I feel better. Hey, you look good this morning. How about some pancakes? You know, he went to a meeting last night, you know, that things are probably on a better footing this morning for him. So the warmth, the empathy, the family, the joining, the closed mouth observations that things are a little shifty for him this morning and he needs space, she needs space, you know. These are really important little observations that are the incremental steps, I think, that with craft, you get to this place where you've created a different environment around your loved one. You are different around your loved one. You see that they need space. You see that they actually didn't go out last night. So you encourage more of that by rewarding the next morning, rewarding into lunch. Hey, let's go to the mall. Let's say we can each spend 40 bucks, you know, or or something like that. So it's a bridge to a different way of being and being around your loved one. And it certainly does not take them hitting bottom because as Kayla and I just said, and for so many people that I, I know and have observed over 
30 years of this is that, you know, it's often something small. It can be something good. It can be, look, you know, I'm just really sick and tired of landing here. I'm not doing this again. And so you don't know what it's going to be. You just need to be creative in, in sort of providing that immediate environment that is conducive of this. Well, and, and for me, the line that comes up with that is, that was the moment I realized this is possible, which I did not believe before that. You, Kayla, keep talking about the noise, right? This added noise. And I love that you brought up shame. This is the exact reason why when our loved one is experiencing the negative consequences or the natural consequences of their use, why you don't want to get in there and start focusing on the negative. Oh, see, you drank last night. Look at you. You can't even get out of bed today. This is why we don't want to get in there and do that because that creates that added noise. It creates the shame and the guilt. And that's what keeps people from experiencing these wonderful aha moments. And that's why we want to wait, like Dominique said, focus on the positive things and try and influence and direct that person to the positive things. Oh, look, look at you. You look great this morning. Join me for a cup of coffee. I'll make your favorite pancakes. Or So this is why it's ignore or not ignore, but disengage in those moments, allow for natural consequences, allow for them to feel kind of the natural shame that comes along with it and let them battle that out on their own. Don't add extra noise in there for them to have to deal with. And I just want to do a, have the little piece on my aha moment with the craft model and allies, because I think it's significant. I don't know if there's any professionals listening, but I come from a long line of dealing with the person with the substance use for years and years and years. And although I got trained in craft, and I'm sorry for repeating this story, but I got trained in craft. I did not want to work with family members because I felt like I'm going to say this, but they were the victims and they were doormats and that it was going to be like working with somebody who was like, oh, I, you know, they're hurting me and I want them to stop and I don't know what to, and that's literally what I was thinking. I'm ashamed to say that right now, but that's what I was thinking. And I suspect there are many professionals out there that still believe that, that if you want to help somebody with their addiction, you only can work with the person who's using. And my aha moment came when I was working a family. I had worked with the family. I was seeing the young adult son. And after they stopped, you know, keeping him in a cage, basically, he literally came into my office and overdosed within a half hour of me seeing him. And that blew my head open. I, and I literally said, I have to work with the families. They need something. There's something missing here. That was the original aha moment. And then I started the group on Wednesday nights, but I still had no idea how this was going to affect the families. I'm just like doing my part. I'm just going to show up and be supportive. And this much more ongoing aha moment for me has been watching the progress of the people who are participating in the group for two reasons. One is watching them going from distraught constantly and strung out and tortured and only focusing on the loved one that's using to people are really starting to really increase self-care and reduce their reactivity and have better life for themselves. And then watching the impact 
their reports of how their their loved one is changing. And it's incremental, but I am an absolute acolyte now of this process because I see things are changing. And so I have many aha moments all the time of like, this really works. This really works. Wow. This dynamic of changing, of connecting, of not criticizing, of not, as I just said in the group, which people thought was weird, but you're not living in somebody else's underpants. You know, that's really what the codependent, when they say codependent, it's like you're literally living in somebody else's life that's not your own. And and I hate that word, but it's when the boundaries get crossed and you are so involved in the other person that you lose yourself. That's my aha is in order to be fully supportive of another human being, you start with yourself. You take care of you and you could care about them and you could love them, but you cannot live their life for them and you cannot make decisions for them. I totally agree, but I do believe that we're not living in a vacuum that Yes, it absolutely is about our behavior and changing our behavior, which is what craft teaches us to do is to change our behavior. But we are interconnected with one another and changing our behavior is going to change our loved one's behavior in some way. If you stop yelling at somebody, they're used to you yelling at them, they react a particular way. If you stop yelling at someone, they're not used to it. Their response has to change because you're not yelling anymore. And we do focus way too much on our loved one's behavior as the outcome of everything. What I find fascinating, and this is this is really how I look at it, is as a family member, I'm learning to craft with my loved one to affect change. And in my crafting... I am changing my behavior. If I am learning the craft skills, then I am changing my behavior. As someone who works with family members that are trying to learn craft, I'm going to craft the family members as well. I'm going to treat them with the same skills and strategies and interact with them using the same skills and strategies so that they can learn craft. (laughs) I really strongly believe we are on such a parallel journey that a lot of our behavior is very similar to what our loved how our loved ones are behaving and that we have to learn how to change our behavior to be more on the healthier side of things so that we can then interact with our loved one and affect change. That's the beauty of allies in recovery, I think, is that, you know, craft was designed to work with a family for 12 weeks, train one family on these skills, go home and practice, go home and practice. And in 12 weeks, you get incredible results, but then they say goodbye to you. And what we've done at allies is realize that you guys, everybody needs a foundation under them, needs the repetition, needs the examples in real life, needs to hear others making some headway and understanding something they didn't before. And so we don't stop at 12 weeks. We assume that you're going to go through perhaps a few more cycles of things before it all hopefully eventually just calms down once and for all. Um, So you need to know how to cycle with it. And that's why when you join allies, you join, I would say for, you know, a good long period until 
you know, you really feel confident that you've got things back in your court, which is where you need them to be is, is under your boundaries, your peaceful moments, you know, you're, you're stepping away, you know, when you're kind of clear when you're doing, maybe you can step away from actively working on craft, but it's a little bit like recovery. It's much better, you know, people who continually go to meetings and whatever flavor meetings you want, simply maintain their recovery better. It's overwhelming. It's like over 50% do better if they attend a regular self-help connective group process of some kind around a recovery, their recovery. And that's, you know, as Lori says, it's the parallel. It's as true for families. Right. It is true for families. It is parallel, which is the power of, of what we're doing on Allies because we offer an entire program keep doing craft. It's a life shift. And the more that you're implementing this, the more that you take a deep dive into it and the more aha moments you're going to have. Okay, Kayla. All right. So today we're talking about aha moments and that is these moments when the noise just kind of dissipates and you have this clarity and the clarity allows you to move forward in a very different way or be more committed to a particular way or thought process or behavior that you didn't have access to before. It's kind of like this opening to shift because something changes in how you process it. And those aha moments are so valuable. And what we do at Allies is give you the tool set to not only have your own aha moments, but give your loved one the space so that they could have their own aha moments, which is powerful and transformative and could lead to long-term change. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.